please stand for the reading of Christ's word? Ecclesiastes 3, we'll begin at verse 1. May you hear the word of Christ this morning. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for being true to your word that you would gather your people in order to hear you speak. And so, Lord, we come this morning gathered around your word that you would indeed speak. And so open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to the revealing of your word this morning. And may you set me aside as your servant of your word and allow your spirit to work in and through me. Now speak, O Lord, for your church listens. We offer these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> as you can see that we're nearing the end of Ecclesiastes 3, we've slowly been drudging through the third chapter, and it's taken us some time, uh, about seven to eight weeks, just in Ecclesiastes 3. And as you can see, we have uh, verse 8 next week. We'll start with the first part and then jump to the second part the week after, and then we'll be done with that part of Ecclesiastes 3 as we continue journeying through uh, what this preacher, this teacher has for us. But this morning, uh, if I could title my sermon and something that I've tried to get to Jenny, but I didn't get it to her quick enough because I was wrestling with the title, uh, but I finally, I think, came to sorts on Saturday of what it would be titled, and it should be heard this morning that there's a sacred rhythm about keeping silent and speaking, and so that's what I titled it, Sacred Rhythms, A Time to Keep Silent and a Time to Speak, and so we'll look at each of those terms, silence and speaking in turn, so that we can better understand what it means for God's people to be a people who speak but also for God's people to keep silent at the right time and in the right way because that's what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us because it's a part of wisdom literature. And if I can remind us, wisdom literature is about knowing what to do at the right time and in the right way. What to do at the right time and in the right way. And so there is indeed, we know, plenty of times where we should keep silent. And there are plenty of times in our lives where we should definitely speak. But it's always difficult to know the right time, isn't it? And having the self-control to know when that right time is. 
So we'll look at each of those in turn, the first one being keeping silent. I want to talk about two types of keeping silent this morning. The first, a keeping silence with the actual mouth. This is the difficult task. And when I talk about keeping silent with the mouth, what I have in mind is how we keep silence and a sacred rhythm of silence each day and each week of our own Christian and spiritual walk. What does it mean for us to have a sacred rhythm of silence with our mouths? For my own life, if I could give you a review of my day, it's something like this. Wake up about 5, 5.15, I get my coffee going, I get dressed, I get ready, brush teeth, then move into a time of silence where I have my coffee and I have my scripture or a, a book about scripture. And the house is the most still that it can be at 5.30 in the morning. As I was talking to Blake this, just a couple of days ago, uh, I sent an email back and forth uh, with him. And I noticed a reply. I think it was Friday morning. And he had replied at 1.16 a.m. And I said, what in the world is this man doing at 1.16 a.m.? And I asked him later that day. He said, well, that's when the house is the quietest. It's the stillest. And us with kids and grandkids certainly know that there are certain times in our house where it's the most silent and the most still. For me, that 5.30 to 6.30, 6.45 time period is the stillest that it can be. There's no traffic outside. I can't hear anything going on in uh, most of Trenton. I can hear only the silence. I can hear the creaks in the walls. That's as loud as it gets. And that's that time where I know that I can devote much of my time to silencing my mouth so that Christ can speak. That's the first main point I want to emphasize to us this morning, that silence isn't just shutting our mouths. Silence is about shutting our mouths in order to hear. It's closing this part of our organ in order to open these. And so we have to have a certain posture in our hearts and our minds to be ready for what Christ will speak to us in the midst of that silence of our mouths. But there's another type of silence, a silence of body. And in fact, this word to keep silence in verse 7, in other instances like Judges 18.9, it's used the exact same Hebrew word, but it talks about the body being still and doing nothing. So there are times where we shouldn't just keep our mouths shut, but also keep our bodies completely still. This is what we refer to as solitude. So it's that open, empty space where we realize that we have organized and structured our morning or our afternoon or our evening and we know that we have set an empty open space for Christ to speak because our mouths are silent, our bodies are still so that Christ can speak directly to us. But let us be reminded that silence is not solitude. Just to shut our mouths is not solitude. Because my house around 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, I might be silent with my lips, but my, my house is completely chaotic. 
kids are playing, beating each other over a toy, they're fighting over something. I could be quiet, but there's not solitude. It's not an empty, open space in order to receive Christ's voice in that time. So we have to know that a stillness isn't just me being still and me with my mouth shut. It's a posture of our hearts to be ready to hear in the midst of quietness that Christ is going to speak. He always does, church. And one of the ways that he is so good at speaking is through his word. That's why we gather each Sunday. One of the reasons is that we don't gather just because we go to church. We gather so that we might hear Christ speak and move in us a type of action to be like him in the world. One of the most favorite places that Christ loves to speak is in the midst of when we are quiet with our mouths and quiet with our bodies. That type of silence. Now let's look at speaking. The second part of verse 7. There's a time for silence and keeping silence, but there's also a time to speak. Now we know what a slip of the tongue is, don't we? When we were trying to say something, but it came out way different. We've all done this. Where we have that very serious conversation with that friend and we know what we're going to say. We wait for that pause for them to stop and then we speak. And you think immediately, that did not come out like I meant for it to be. That came out, in fact, how it was communicated was the exact opposite of how I meant to communicate it. I might have said the exact same words that were in my mouth or in my head and they came through my mouth, but how they were said that's not the way I meant it. This is a part of what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us, that there is just not a time to speak, but a time to speak well. That is a practice that we have to cultivate, church. <clears throat> not easy. And in fact, if you look at the life of Christ, when he interacts with people around him, he is wisdom in the flesh. That's what Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 2. He is wisdom in the flesh. And so when he speaks, he knows not only what to say, but how to say it at the right time. And so he becomes our paradigm where we live like him and know that situation that is very difficult medically for somebody in our family. We know not only what to speak, but how to speak it. Or that friend who's going through a hard time. We know not just what to speak, but how to say it well. Or that time where there's that very serious encounter with somebody who says, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. We know not only what to say, but how to say it. In the most loving way, but truthful way possible. Because that is the reminder that Paul gives us that we can speak many words, but hopefully our words are truthful, but also carried with great love and compassion towards that person. If we look at, for example, one time where James, the half-brother of Jesus, speaks about the tongue in James 3, I'll look at verses 3 through 6 this morning. He spends a whole chapter about the tongue. 
and the power that it has. James writes, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudders. Wherever the wheel of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire an entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. What James is trying to emphasize to the church that he's writing to is that the tongue itself has an incredible power. He uses two metaphors, the first talking about the bit that goes into the horse's mouth. And those who have ridden horses know very well that if the horse itself isn't trained to be guided, and then it slowly is being given this discipline, so to speak, of the bit, it eventually learns that these movements of the bit train the horse to move in the right direction. You put the bit and you, t you tug on one side, the horse knows to go that direction. If you have the bit in the mouth, you tug on the other side, it knows to go the other. How small of an instrument, right? Not very big in the mouth of a horse, yet it directs the whole body. Or the second metaphor he gives is the boat, the whole, uh, the whole ship. Though these are large ships, are driven by small winds, yet are guided by very small rudders, wherever the will of the pilot directs. And James is writing first century Israel. Can you imagine the type of ships that he saw compared to the types of ships that we see today? I mean, these were baby ships compared to the types of ships that are created and designed today. And yet, he is emphasizing the same point, how this very large piece of metal and material can be guided by the smallest rudder, and it's all at the will of the pilot. And then he connects it, so also the tongue. It directs the whole body. It can actually set a forest on fire, but there's also those situations where it can actually set, well, at least what James doesn't say, but we can conclude this, is that it can put the fire out. It has that type of power. And we see this in our own uh, parental life, Jade, myself, that I can interact with my child, how he is acting out, and I can use the calmest tone with the sweetest words, and it can just soothe that child. But if I use a tone that's higher, in a tone that is a little bit more aggressive, it only sets the fire inside that child. James understood very well that unity of the church was greatly dependent upon the tongue. And that's what he's trying to emphasize to this church that he's writing to. Unity and reconciliation. Guess what? There is great division and 
the main issue is the tongue. There's so much backbiting. There's so much fighting and quarreling and striving. Yet, it's all due to the very tongue, which is related to the heart. And how you're trying to divide others because there's some sort of root issue here on what you're wanting in this church. This is a great reminder for us today. We see this all across churches, don't we? That we can see churches divided left and right over the use of the tongue. So what James reminds us is that the tongue is not just an issue. The tongue is a, it's a theological issue. It's a spiritual issue. And as we could flip back to the gospel accounts that Christ himself reminds us that your tongue, your words are actually connected to your heart. For out of the mouth Right? You remember the teaching of Jesus? Out of the mouth comes defiling things. It's not what you put into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth. What is spoken is what defiles the whole body. This is James emphasizing and building on the teaching of Jesus. Well, hopefully, James is communicating and the church is understanding in this time that we need to see our tongues as a theological and spiritual issue because our hearts are connected to the words that we speak. So unity can be brought about by unifying words. Reconciliation is ultimately dependent on the work of Christ. It is a reconciliation work. If you turn to Ephesians 2 and 3 and where Paul talks about how these two warring people Jews and Gentiles were brought together by the single body of Christ through his cross. Two people now brought together as one. We can see also that unity and reconciliation is dependent upon the cross of Christ. And so reconciling words are spoken in reconciliatory ways. Not just what we say, but how they are said. So what does this mean for us? If we are to cultivate these sacred rhythms for our own lives, well, I think first we have to begin remembering that we have to cultivate a time of keeping silent. And I would even invite us into a daily keeping of silence. Because I know it's hard. Because when I sit down at 5.30, 5.45 in the morning and I open up that scripture or open up that book and then I move to a time of prayer, what do we do? Did I put those clothes in the dryer? Did I turn the dishwasher on? And I should really get those fold, uh, clothes folded before the kids get up. Our minds are incredible at being emotionally pulled in different directions, spiritually pulled in different directions, our bodies physically pulled in different directions. But I think what you'll see is the more that you sit down and cultivate those times of keeping silent with our mouths but also our bodies, you will see Christ speak in extraordinary ways. He will speak through his word. He will speak in the midst of that silence to direct you for action. And I hope that's what we understand this morning. It's not just a keeping silent for the sake of silence. 
we keep silent with our mouths, we keep silent with our bodies to posture ourselves for Christ to speak so that we can then live out what Christ speaks. It's a posturing of our bodies for action. Secondly, what does it mean for us to introduce sacred rhythms of speaking? Well, it's knowing when the right time is to speak and when the right time is to not speak. And as Billy Graham used to say that when he would speak with somebody, he would be praying. That's a hard habit to cultivate. To hear somebody speak and you're sitting there praying for the right time and right words to say, that's very difficult. But Billy Graham was incredible at it. You should just go back this week and watch old interviews of Billy Graham with others and how he did. He knew just what to say and how to say it at the right time. That wasn't just a spiritual gift given to Billy Graham. That was a spiritual practice that he had developed over years and years of practicing that habit. So maybe we should just stop for a second. As people are speaking, we should slow down, pray. What should I say and how should I say it? And guess what you'll realize? You're going to fail many times. But thankfully, we can still use our lips and our tongues and our speaking to say, I'm sorry. That's an act of reconciliation, church, where we can go back and say, I'm sorry for the actions that I committed against you. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? That's a part of being unified as a church body is that we don't just speak unifying words, but we live out the unifying work of Christ himself. So let us be a people who practice these sacred rhythms this week of keeping silence with our mouths, keeping silent with our bodies, and being ready to speak wise words about our wise creator. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift, again, of your word.